listeners, welcome back to the Lost in Postulation podcast, episode 38, approaching the one-year anniversary. I'm Nicola Volpi, and I am joined by someone that we all knew he was a boomer at heart, but turns out he's an absolute Luddite. I'm ashamed. I um, I never thought I would be one of those people, but listeners, I have to admit, we're, we're, doing, it, we're doing it remotely, as you probably noticed by now, but I have to admit... I had some serious trouble. However, I'm going to blame my 2012 MacBook Air, who is still just Fair. about hanging in there. It has a it has a battery life of about 12 seconds if it's not plugged in. <laughs> but I have been stubbornly holding on to it for, as you can hear, 11 years, and it has. We tried to use it for this recording just now, and it is just not playing ball. So. Sad to say it made me look like a right boomer, but uh, here we are. I made it nonetheless. I found a backup option, and uh, we are podcasting once again. I'm I'm proud of your resilience. Uh, it's incredible. I don't know how you managed 12 years with that thing. I'm very happy that I've managed four years on the same iPhone for the first time uh, in my life. So I don't know how, how you've just kept it going. I think I was just so proud of buying it because the way I bought it, fun fact for any Irish listeners, is okay. if you're a student, which I was 11 years ago, AIB offers you an interest-free overdraft of up to 1,000 euro. And I was like, what if I get the interest-free overdraft and buy a Mac with that? Because I, I was a student with no laptop for the first year or so. Oh, and wow. uh, then I did, and I slowly, slowly paid it back. And I was I was making, as a student, almost no money. Right. So I was just paying it back in dribs and drabs, but there was no interest. So it was like, okay, I will eventually you know, get it paid off. And then when I did, I was just it was just the most satisfying thing ever. And then I've kind of hung on to it ever since because I've been like, look how much mileage I'm getting out of this bad boy. <laughs> like, I, I worked so hard for it, and uh, I'm... Goddamn, getting the most out of it that I can, but yeah, I think it's it's time to call call a spade a spade here. This thing is old. Like I, I dialed in, you saw when I dialed in initially, and it just can't handle low light whatsoever. The the integrated webcam is from you know the <laughs> early twenty. I thought it was just dirty. That's how it is. So I, it, you literally look like you're in a haunted house when you dial in to uh, to calls. But hey, look, it's been great. I've done so much college stuff plus my actual life after that on that thing. So um, yeah. It's been a loyal companion. There is a common theme here about struggling to let go, I think, considering the fact that you also still use your university email. Oh, 100%. But that is that is another bargain for any Irish students. Uh, if you're in an Irish university, most of the time, they will give you an email address for life that also has unlimited Google Drive storage. So this is the key, Whoa. right? Unlimited uh, Google Drive storage. Yeah. Now, I, I probably shouldn't say this because like sooner or later they're going to notice, but they haven't noticed yet. So I have like all of my stuff backed up on my uh, my old university email and that university email address is the shortest text string that I have available to me as an email address, you know? So you're going to be entering entering your email address a lot in your life. So I was like, why not choose the so shortest possible one available to me, which was that one. So That's yeah. Unbelievable. What I a hack. Through. What a yeah. life hack. Yeah, yeah. I mean, count how many times you enter your email address, even in a day. It's probably up in the in the tens, you know. Well, you're... You, since you're such a luddite, we do have these things that uh, automatically type it in for you nowadays. Uh, true, so. true. Now there are though that that's like in the in the best case scenario where a service keeps you logged in, you know. But right. in in many cases now, two factor authentication or or what have you mm. forces you to enter manually in each case. I mean, we have, I have in my work, we have all manner of different logins for everything. And one of them has, you know, two factor where it sends you an email. One has two factor where you have to scan a QR code. You know, it's just like, it, I have it all. So uh, in a given day, I probably have to use like five or six different 
login types. Stimulating content as ever for the listener Absolutely. Uh, who's Absolutely. enjoying this one. But yeah, I'm, I'm sure go. they're very glad we got to the bottom of that. And uh, Neil, today we're doing something a bit different. We talk to our listeners and we've listened to them. Rare, a rare occurrence that we actually take our listeners' feedback. Now, we love our listeners' feedback and we always take it on board. And in this case, we are going all in on the listener feedback. Yes, exactly. On the mailbag, special mailbag episode to start off here. And Neil, first thing that came in here to uh, our our Gmail, lostinpostulation at gmail.com, where uh, listeners can write us in, is a message geared to you, about you. Uh-oh. I will quote it directly. Fitzpatrick is no longer so magic. I think he let my high praise from episode 33 go to his head and is now just coasting by on mediocre postulations. The vibes are low. Oh my Disappointing God. Disappointing coming from a fellow VTP. Okay, that does narrow it down. That helps to narrow it down a little. I still don't know who it is, but... uh. I'm disappointed and frankly gutted to hear that the vibes are low. I did not think they were low recently in my harsh. humble opinion. It's extremely harsh and it's only aimed at me. Now, okay, this person clearly understands motivation because it's a bit like um, when a teacher tells you you're going to do well in an exam, you're much less likely to study for it and then you end up failing, you know? So when we get when we get that kind of praise that we got back in episode 33... That you got. I didn't get I got. any praise. True, true. It was, it was generous praise towards me. And maybe I did let that get to my head a little bit and I thought, wow, at least one listener does appreciate my offbeat blend of uh, postulations. And yeah, maybe I have to up my game. So it's a great... It's a great um, provocation from the listener here who uh seems to be just undulating between praise and uh an admonishment in in a nice tempo which is cool so maybe next time we'll get some praise again but for now i'm gonna take the feedback on board painful though it is yeah so i mean for now what we know about this person after having written in anonymously twice is one they're a very loyal listener yeah they know all the the insiders so to speak the inside mm-hmm. baseball yeah and that's two, true they call themselves a VTP, which for listeners that don't know, is a term coined by Neil, which means very tall person. You save yourself a whole syllable by saying VTP rather than, no, you save yourself two syllables, in fact. Yeah, indeed. Very tall person. That's five syllables. So you, you get to save yourself two syllables every single time. Therefore, it's an amazing acronym and should be used. Now, the only time it doesn't pay off is when you have to explain the acronym. Then you end up right. spending a lot more syllables. But in the long run, think of it as an ROI. Like the, you're investing in your future here when you explain the VTP uh, acronym. And I think, you know, as far as I'm concerned, that is not a mediocre postulation that you just came with about syllables. So I think this person, mu- you know, hopefully they'll come back uh, with something else. This yeah. Sir, Sir Alec Ferguson type of figure here with the hair yeah. dryer. Yeah, hundred percent. I feel I, I don't really I, I can't pretend I fully follow your reference there, but I'm just going to roll with it. Uh, but first of all, isn't it Sir Alex Ferguson, not Alec? Uh, but they say Alec in Scotland, apparently. Okay, so yeah, they, when, they, okay. Whenever you see a documentary or something about him, Alec. Yeah. And it's not that I watch them routinely, but they say uh, yeah. Sir Alec Ferguson. Okay, interesting. Apologies to the Scots. I know you don't like yeah. it when we make fun of your accents. We're not there making fun. We're trying our best. It's a, it's really showing appreciation, showing our love of the accent, if anything. Uh, okay, exactly. so th- we remain in this fun situation where you know who this listener is and I don't, and I'm just having to kind of uh, muddle my way through figuring it out slowly. Maybe the next time the listener writes in, leave another clue and see if I get yeah. even in the ballpark. For now, I'm I'm clueless. 
I mean, I know who they are as far as they're a listener of the podcast, but it's not, you know. Uh, you do. I think you know exactly who it is, well, to be honest. Well, no, Neil, you know, we, we'll see. We'll see if there's a third or fourth one coming in uh, from uh, yeah. from said mm -hmm. listener. You're uh, a man of mystery, but... Uh, oh, so now that the yeah. feedback is negative, you turn into a skeptic all of a sudden, huh? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying the person doesn't exist. I'm just, you know, highlighting the, the fun scenario we find ourselves in that I just don't know who it is. But yeah, well, here it is. So that's first item from the mailbag wasn't supposed to take that long, but of course, because of the acronyms, we needed to explain a thing or two. Absolutely. Thank once you, uh, mystery listener, once again. Yes, thank you, Sir Alec. And first item from the mailbag, first postulatory item, excuse me, Neil, and this one is, I'd say, right up our alley. I'd say very much our bread and sausage on this podcast. Uh-huh. And that's... Is a hot dog a sandwich? This coming actually from user if triple M from Glasgow in Scotland. So Scottish theme to the episode. If is that spelled like I F M M M or what's the yeah with, with an underscore? It's a social okay. media username. Oh, okay, from exactly. So probably Michael Mitchell. I don't know. No, we don't My, know. Michael Mitchell McConnell. Could you be. have to think, right? You have yeah. to assume that was their naming strategy. But on to the question itself, which is a good one. Uh, is it a sandwich? So we've discussed this at length before about sandwiches conceptually, mm -hmm. like if uh, if or whether or not they're a dinner. So we're not going to reopen that absolute Pandora's box. I think we well, we might, but yeah. we may get to that. But let's should we start perhaps to attempt to define what a sandwich actually is mm -hmm. in our minds? And I don't mean let's try to agree. I mean we'll probably both of us come to a separate definition, right? Because to me, it's going to be heavily vibe-based. I don't know about you. Oh, it's vibe-based. Oh, it's also oh, yeah. very vibe-based for me. Uh, okay. That yeah, vibe yeah. being... The crap vibes. I yeah. hate it. Yeah, that is unfortunate. I think the sandwich is one of the finer inventions of humankind. Jeez. And if I was to try and define it, I would say a sandwich is, at its core, a marriage. <laughs> oh, I love this, actually. I hadn't, I hadn't prepared this, but I'm already off to a good start. The, the sandwich is a marriage of bread and condiment with an optional meeting of the minds between those previous parties and a meaty or vegetable-based filling. It's a celebration of unity and it represents our modern world where slow cooking and hunter gathering is no longer required and we can create something in a flash. Wow. Um, yeah, I didn't didn't expect that. Um, Neither did I. You see, this wow. is the great thing about postulation. You know, you just never know where it's going to go. So along those lines, the food of choice at a peace summit could very well be the sandwich. You, it would definitely be in a in a future looking, forward facing, probably organized by the Economist. You know, one of these summits where. People are there to discuss how the world is going to look in 20, 30, 50, 100 years. Mm -hmm. I think the sandwich should be the snack of choice because they weren't sitting around the Roman, the, the Forum Romanum, you know, eating sandwiches. No, that hadn't been invented yet. That was something that they weren't privy to that didn't amplify or, or augment their lives such as it has with ours. So I think that's something that we can use to celebrate the future. And I, I suppose what I should probably do at this point is acknowledge that I'm talking absolute. This this is this is as out there as I've gotten in the last like five episodes, I'd say. So apologies to the listeners for that. But I'm I'm on a roll here. I'm on a vibe. Just okay. embrace it. So we're establishing what a sandwich is, which you know essentially we're talking two pieces of bread, 
condiment, maybe meat, vegetable filling in, in between, right? Yeah. And let's not forget that the word sandwich has also evolved to be used in other contexts. Like, oh, I was sandwiched between two mm-hmm. people, you know? Yeah. And I think that'll be important later. So I'm, I'm dropping that now as a little... Uh, okay. Okay. Little, uh, entree. Yeah. So I'm going to read you here a couple definitions, um, official definitions. So in the United States, the Department of Agriculture and the FDA are the responsible agencies for the sandwich. Okay. The, U- the USDA uses the definition, and, and I quote, at least 35% cooked meat and no more than 50% bread. For close... Uh, okay, sorry, go on. Go yeah, on. yeah. For close sandwiches and at least 50% cooked meat for open sandwiches. Now, park that there for a second. We have the Brits coming in, the founders of the mm-hmm. sandwich. Who would know? Yeah. As, as uh, you know, because of the Earl of Sandwich. Yeah. In Britain, the British Sandwich Association, so they go as far as to have a specific sandwich association, the BSA, defines yes. a sandwich as any form of bread with a filling generally assembled cold, a definition which includes wraps and bagels, but excludes dishes assembled and served hot such as burgers. Oh, ouch. Okay. Mm, don't love either of those definitions for for different reasons. But what what do you think? Are you, are you at least somewhat on on board with those? Or, I mean, I think the two clash a little bit. I mean, thirty five percent cooked meat. What are that's an, that's outrageous. I mean, they yeah. need to get with the times though, because like, yeah. what about veganism? You know, what what, what about yeah, some respect to the vegans? Come on. That's just outrageous. Yeah. Like, if you made like a if you made a nice veggie sandwich, would they be like, "What is this? I have no idea what this is." So there, I, I have some issues with this, and I think I'm leaning more towards the British definition because the American one, 35% cooked meat. I wouldn't even know how to go about, you know, what's 35% of of the fillings in that sandwich. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then they also make room for open sandwiches, which are an oxymoron in my opinion, because the moment you need a fork and knife. It's not a sandwich. Nah, not sure how much I love that one. Even us living here in Denmark, the, the home of the smile, well, the open-faced sandwich, which has uh, become famous around the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, I said it just there, open-faced sandwich. Apparently, it's a thing, but hmm, I don't know. That would, That's one for another day, perhaps, because we're going to get terribly sidetracked as I we think so. Yeah, I think I we think, actually need to start getting back to yeah to the hot, dog, the hot right? dog, right? So yeah. within these definitions, within yours, my, within you, within, within mine, yours, it would I be, am yes. I think it gets a pass. It gets the the seal of approval to be a sandwich and to show up at the sandwich conventions, etc. Because like all things considered, right? And just being brutally. Being pragmatic here, it's a sandwich. Like it has the meat, it has the bread, it has the fillings, it has condiments, right? So if you're going to really get stuck on the fact that it's a hinged piece of bread rather than two separate pieces of bread, then I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. You know, it's like you're wasting everyone's time, including your own, kind of. You know, I think that that's like the wrong hill to die on because think of everything that hot dogs can bring to the sandwich discussion. You know, mm. imagine in a world without hot dogs. We would be missing a whole range of sandwiches, ketchup and mustard-based pork sandwiches. You know, we would be missing that. So I think um, I think it's it's wrong, and it's disgusting to to exclude uh, to exclude hot dogs from the sandwich pantheon. And I would actually I would fight for that. 
So we should write to the FDA, basically, is what you're saying, and the USDA while we're at it. But question, Neil, mm. in a hypothetical scenario where you and I are out on the town and you say, hey, I'm just going to pop over there to get a sandwich. You don't come back with a hot dog. You would have no, said, I'm going to pop over there dog. to get a hot dog. That is true. And I was just thinking as well, would you say for a kebab, you know, you would never say a kebab is a sandwich, but it has the bready components that a sandwich also has. Right. I would say I'm just about to pop over to get a sandwich if it was a sandwich shop, like, you know, like our friends right. in, in Hiko, you know, but our dear, dear friends yeah. in Hiko. Uh, I think you would never replace the word hot dog with sandwich. That is true. But the same could be said for burger. And I think we talked about that before as well, right? That right. burger is basically also a sandwich. Did we talk about that? Or did, didn't we? I, don't, I thought we, that might have come up in the sandwich discussion when we were talking about is a sandwich a dinner. But, I, I think it used yeah. to be a burger used to be like a sandwich. But we've, yeah. we've moved so far from just a patty with some melted cheese on top to where we had burgers here last night. We ordered in. Yeah. Fork and knife stuff, man. Yeah, like, yeah, stuff yeah. flying all over the place. For They're sure. Yeah. So-called gourmet burger. Yeah. that That is a, a, a bit of a downfall, a bit of a shame, I think, in the 21st century that this has prevailed so much. And I, speaking as someone who had one myself in the past three days, so it's not that I hate them. It's just that it, it, we're getting away from what made the burger good, you know, the handheld yeah. nature, the, the fact that it's clean on the top and bottom and that you can still just consume severe quantities of meat it's it's great but i i do hate or, or regret a bit when i have to use a knife and fork so you go hot dog is a sandwich burger might be for another time perhaps although i i still think it it depends on the burger it's like i know when i see it you know like yeah. uh, if i can pick the burger up and bite it without everything falling apart or without it being too tall to physically bite, then maybe we're getting into it's something else entirely, you know? But if it's a biteable, hand-holdable burger, I'm like, that's basically a sandwich, isn't it? Because it ticks all those boxes. Mm. You don't yeah. say this, yeah. Yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking about the hot dog again, and this is coming from someone that hates the hot dog equally as much as he hates the sandwich, just in terms mm. of not being meals um, and being hazards. Okay. Uh, in general. Hazards. Well, we've been over, you know, you're always eating it while in a rush. Anything you're eating on the move, that becomes a hazard. You know, it's not, mm. I like to sit down. That's a meal. If I'm not sitting down, it's not a meal. But what if I said this, right? You're on your way to the gate in Copenhagen Airport. Your flight's taking off or it's it's boarding in five minutes. On the way to the gate in, uh, I think it's A, the, in the A gates, you do have a, a, a sandwich or a, to be accurate, a hot dog vendor right there. Yeah. Would you rather go hungry? And if I offered you a hot dog from there on our way to the gate, we don't have time for any more food. Would you, you rather go hungry? Yeah. Are you going to go hungry or do you take the, the hot dog? I've gone hungry before with that. I've gone hungry before on oh, six, okay. seven hour flights because uh, they were and serving sandwiches. Then I don't know so, what to tell you. Wow. Yeah. Geez. You it's, really hate you know, it's just more about me than about the hot dog probably, but you know. Um I can't believe that yeah. because you're someone who's interested in nutrition, right? Who who wants to, if you have some kind of sporting event, you'll probably carb load for it, you know? Absolutely. Isn't, isn't a sandwich a pretty decent source of all the major nutrients that you're going to need? You're going to have your protein, you have your carbs, you know, it's like, it's actually a pretty efficient form of, it, of nutrition, no? It's a trap in terms of the balance oftentimes because mm. of the, the carb around it. So I find myself usually hungry two hours later again. Mm. That's mm. always an issue I usually have with the sandwich. Mm. 
I think I was pretty pro-dinner sandwich, actually, back when we talked about it last. And I probably have evolved in my thinking since then, now that I, now that I reflect on it. Because I'm with you. It is, it's not, not going to be your only meal, right? You right. need to combo it with something on the side or, you know, meal deal of some kind. And I'm going to throw yeah. back some words at your face. When we talked about the Peace Summit, you said the mm. snack of choice for the Peace Summit. Oh, yeah, but it, that... I was at a I was at something last week a business yeah. event where sandwiches were the only lunch available right so right. it is it was a snack but it was also the lunch you know you just had yeah. to, it's all about quantity right it's like it's a snack if you eat one and it's a lunch if you eat three and it's mm. potentially dinner as well if you take some home and with the hot dog the frank are you more of a frankfurter or are you more of a vena I actually am a you, listeners might be confused by what this is because I never heard of it before I came here. But I'm a fan of the Fransk in Danish, the French hot dog that they have here, which is essentially, this is going to sound almost vulgar when I describe it, but just bear with me. It's a sleeve, a bread sleeve that the hot dog is inserted into. It's disgusting. It's uh, criminal. Normally what they do is, and again, apologies if it sounds vulgar, but they lubricate the bread with some uh, ketchup or mustard. And then the... The you know the cho the chosen pork product is uh, gently inserted into the sleeve of bread, and then what you have is a one-handed <laughs> exactly uh, the what you then have is a one-handed uh, hot dog experience because the big problem with hot dogs normally, especially if you get one to go, is it's falling all over the place. You've got onions falling on the ground, and you know it's yeah. it's, it's awful. So the French the France hot dog, as we say here, is a nice solution to that because you can walk and go. You can just you know take a bite, keep walking. You know it's a uh, it's so good. It's a very pragmatic innovation, come to think of it now, uh, yeah. because when you're having a traditional hot dog, yeah. you're you're eating this thing sideways, basically, right? It's, yeah. it's not practical at all. It's not something you can move around and eat the right side up as you would with, with any other food, right? So yeah. the France hot dog, the French coming to the rescue yet again. Yeah. Uh, I think like- They probably the, don't even know about it in France, though. No, classic, as as with many things. Yeah. Uh well, what's funny is like, you, you've probably heard that phrase, um, a camel is a horse designed by committee. You've, have you heard that before? Yes, I have. And I think a hot dog is a France hot dog designed by committee as well, you know? Because it's like the mm. France hot dog is the perfect delivery method for a piece, for a sausage. Because it's like a breaded holder that can easily be held in one hand and can hold the, the condiment as well, you know? Whereas a hot dog is like... Team A was like, oh, we need to have this hinged bread because that's cool. And then Team B was like, oh, we got to have just loose, loosely sprinkled onions. And then it all gets pulled together and it's like a disaster design, you know? I, I mean, I think you're really onto something. Um, I just, so we're you're going to say it's a sandwich. Is that where you're landing with the hot dog? Yeah, I think okay. where, where I'm landing is, yes, a sandwich. Do I love them? No, I have to say. Yes. Yes, sandwich. Do I hate them? Yes. So, and I'm with you. So you're consistent in the, in your hatred of all sandwiches, basically. If we, if yes. we follow that logic, exactly. But do, you, but do you hate hot dogs more or less than the average sandwich? Ah, that's a good question. More. If I'm going pork, I want you know some uh, some ham, some prosciutto, or some jamon, or. Salami or something, not these uh, these bouncy little sausages that that you insert in your in your pre lubricated uh, cheese. Yeah, cheese uh, proper bread. Yeah, exactly. So um, so yeah, that's where I land on that. I just wanted to 
I think we should pay our respects, though, to John Montague, the fourth Earl of Sandwich. Absolutely. Um, an 18th century English aristocrat. And the story here is that he had very long sessions of cribbage and other games at gambling houses. Mm. And in the meantime, during these sessions, he would order his valet, so like a butler, right? Yeah. To, to bring him salt beef between two pieces of toasted bread. He was fond of this form of food because it allowed him to continue gambling while eating yeah, without the need for a fork and without getting his cards greasy, debatable, from eating meat with his bare hands. I just think it's the most beautiful phenomenon of invention. You know, it's like necessity is the mother of invention. This is a case in point. Let me gamble with non-greasy cards. What You know, it, it's the solution that it, that was needed for the for the exact situation. It's incredible. And now, if you would have, all those years ago, in the 18th century, if you would have told the right honorable the Earl of Sandwich, who became the Earl of Sandwich at the age of 10, mm. became Postmaster General, First Lord of the Admiralty, Secretary of State for the Northern Department, and you would have told him, you're going to be remembered for salted beef between two slices of bread. Oh, he's he's remembered for so much more though, surely. I mean, you can even hear like his CV, his storied career. How do you think he did all those jobs? He didn't take lunch. He was eating sandwiches through his lunch break when he everyone was else was gambling the day away. Nah, nah, we don't know. Like that's that's what he liked to do in his spare Seriously. time, right? Yeah. But listen, look at that CV. He's been the postmaster general. He's been all sorts of things, right? And he was out competing everybody because everyone else was taking like a full lunch time where they would go and you know sit down and get their knives and forks. And he was just working through lunch, eating a sandwich at his desk. So like this is what you need. He's a hustler at heart, you know. This is how he's how he achieved everything he did. So dinner at the Fitzpatrick's. Are you inviting the Earl of Sandwich or Napoleon? I think um, EOS is like way more welcome because I think Napoleon is like gonna. He's me and him are also not gonna vibe well as a as a, a word I tend to uh, invoke quite often. But I mm. think me and Napoleon are just not gonna see eye to eye physically and literally, or physically and uh, metaphorically. But. Uh, Beside that, I think me and Sandwich have a lot in common, so let's uh, let's invite him. There we go, and then we can actually get his take on the hot dog because it was not yet around uh, at the time, and once it came yeah. around, it was uh, in Germany, right? So not somewhere he was traveling to very often. No. I think Sandwich would agree, though, because his whole philosophy seems to have been, let me keep my goddamn fingers clean right that's his mm. that's his, his entry point here right so as long as long as there's a piece of bread for him to hold on to and in this case the hot dog ticks that box as does a burger you know i think then he's going to be like yeah it's it's in it's one of mine well thank you eos thank you neil for that on to the next one from the mailbag this is from francois from london okay uh Okay. And Francois from London asks, which way do you hang the toilet paper roll? The right way. Which is? Uh, I see. This is the thing. Over I or under, I, I think. Are always, the always overhang, right? So it's coming, mm. the, 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 the ply is coming over the top. And I, I am a little bit militant on this, such that I will actually uh, helpfully correct bathrooms where I see they've gotten it wrong. So At other if, people's houses? Yes, yes. Oh, wow. And uh, I just see it. I just see it as a favor because they clearly don't know. Like they, they, they haven't like figured it out. They haven't tried it the other way. Because if they had, they would have obviously switched to it. But from an aesthetic point of view, from a design mm. functionality point of view, who wants to be reaching into the wall and pulling paper against the wall, assuming it's hanging against the wall? And who wants to be doing that? 
did you have this epiphany early on or was it told to you or what? I actually don't know. I don't think it was that early. I think it's only in the past 10, maybe 15 years. It's probably, do you know when it was? It was when I moved out because wouldn't mm. you know, I was a, I was a kid for, for, you know, like all of us, I had a childhood too. And in that time, I was not the chief toilet paper administrator of my home. I don't, right. know who, I don't know many kids who get assigned that task at, at an early age. I think it's a huge quite, responsibility. Quite a high responsibility. Maybe EOS, because he was already big time at age 10. But he's an innovator. We can't all be EOS, you know? Right. So I was certainly, um, I was a user, but not necessarily the administrator. I didn't have admin privileges for the toilet paper in my home, unless mm. there was an emergency where, you know, when it ran out and I had to replace it post haste. But it was only then when I moved out and I was confronted with such a a quandary that I had to, you know, make a decision and say, well, it's going to go this way or that way. And then I probably put it on the other way and was like, oof, don't like this. And it drags against the wall and it's really annoying to reach. So I think it's, uh, it's, it's just the right answer. This one isn't as ambiguous, I think, as people like to think it is. No, it's not as ambiguous. I can tell you from personal experience, I never thought about this until I moved in with my now wife a few years mm -hmm. ago. Mm -hmm. uh, and she, she made it quite clear that there is a correct way of doing it. And since then, 100%. I've come to appreciate it. Um, in researching the episode, though, as we do, we leave nothing to chance. We do our fact yeah, 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 for sure. And, uh, Neil, according to recent studies, the best way to put a roll of toilet paper on a toilet paper dispenser is over, not under. So you're right. Correct. What, what's so great about over, you might ask? Because under can leave your guests vulnerable to bacteria lurking inside public restrooms. These germs can then spread throughout the place and make people sick. So is that, am I correct in saying that's because of the contact with the wall? So it's like dragging off the wall or yeah, something? Yeah, that's the idea. Yeah. Exactly. I, wait, I suppose it's also dragging off the wall, though, the other way, in a kind of a backwards way, you know? Not sure. Yeah, but in I'm, any case, in any case. Well, it is, it, isn't it? It could yeah, it always, is. unless it you is. have one that's hanging off in the beginning, some yeah. part of the roll is always going to be. It has to. Touching, it's going right? to roll against something, yeah. So then but, it depends how you're yeah. folding and how you're using the toilet. Exactly, paper. exactly. But one, one little thing to add, and knowing that this is quite ambitious given we're in audio format, but I'm going to try and explain a further benefit. You know, you know some of those holders where there's like a little kind of metal flap over the top? Yes, I'm looking at so, one right now uh, this is on the, the thing. pictures. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because when it's folded over that way, you can actually use that metal thing as a kind of a, a cutter, you know, a, a tearaway. Yeah, like you're, yeah. Um, like you're, like a roll of sellotape. You know, you're like, yeah, sure, and it's gone. But if you put it on backwards, what, where, where's the solution there? You, you've now just rendered that metal thing null and void. You know, you're right, and it's actually super annoying. Come to think of it, I've been in hotel yeah. rooms where that's been the case. For example, uh, yeah. I think I think we're aligned on that, and then you know just some more context here for for Francois uh, okay. to to help him out. The 1891 patent for the toilet paper roll. Mm -hmm. So only in 1891 the toilet paper roll was patented. That's quite recent. Dare I ask what was the prevailing format before then? Uh, dare you ask? There's a reason we shook hands with our right and not our left. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I mean, still the case in many parts of the world. Exactly. I mean, exactly. You don't have to travel that far, but uh, it's crazy to think, isn't it? Like something we just absolutely take for granted is just is not that new an invention. Like we're talking foundation of the U.S. kind of times. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So wow. the 1891 patent for the toilet paper roll, yes, that exists. Literally states that the end of the roll should be hanging off the exterior. So it was already thought out like this. 
Ah. What the edge of the roll should be hanging. Oh, yeah, okay. But it doesn't say front or back, right? It doesn't say what, what orientation. No. Yeah. Off the exterior. So, in other yeah. words, the pattern created by the inventor of toilet paper, Seth mm. Wheeler, who we'll research in a future episode. Genius. Another yeah. legend. Yeah. Reveals the correct way to hang toilet paper on the holder is actually over. There you go. Oh, phenomenal. Yeah. Wait, did he do this in the late 1800s or? Yeah, 1891, wow. the patent. And he was probably researching this for uh, for ages. Our man, wow. our man, Seth Wheeler. So satisfying. Remember yeah. the name, invented the toilet paper roll. Now, let me think, because what we're saying is he invented the toilet paper roll. So there may have been toilet mm. paper before, yeah. just not rolled around a little piece of cardboard. Yeah. And I mean, we don't have to travel that far in the bathroom, in a public bathroom, to find another instance of paper being dispensed in a non-roll fashion. I mean, the hand paper that is dispensed, you know, from the kind of plucking motion at the sink, apparently rolls don't apply there anymore. I don't know why. Maybe it's because it automatically separates them for you. Maybe that's why. So actually, Seth Wheeler, he received the first U.S. patent for a machine able to manufacture the perforated rolled wrapping paper. Nice, 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 nice. And he did well. He did well. His machine could also imprint an insignia or wording on each sheet. There you go. Do you mess? Do you mess with those? I mean, does the, does your roll? Is it so premium that it has kind of a, a brand on it or something like that? Uh, at times, um, I'm more about what is what is soft and what is okay. coming Apply. in a very big pack. Yeah. Because uh, the last thing you want to do is run out of toilet paper. That's true. That's true. Can I quickly just tip into the, the world of hand drying, just because we're in that ballpark, right? Yes, we are. And am I right in saying, or would you agree, that paper hand drying is the goat of hand drying, far superior to downward blast air dryers and mm. far superior, again, to Dyson Airblade-like technology, which I hate. We're, we're excluding the normal towel. Oh, towel is also good, actually, to be fair. Okay, so yeah. If you're in a fancy restaurant and there's like individual folded towelettes, I think that's right. a, a pretty fantastic solution. But yeah. I mean, in, in your day-to-day, you're not going to find those in the in your airport. No, no. Bathroom so or, if or you're out, I, I am guilty of, if I have the choice between a blow dryer, uh, what do you call it, a hand dryer yeah. and paper towels, that I will take a couple paper towels and use Yeah, yeah, every time. Um, I'm not proud of that because it is not, Neil, environmentally friendly. I actually would debate that. Because of the lithium batteries powering the hand dryers? The hand dryers are extremely power intensive, actually. They're like, um, I th- I think I actually heard this. If not, I'll go find it. But like, I, I don't think it's that much better. You know, it looks better because it's like, hey, no waste, you know. Right. But what you get is, in many cases, the energy usage of the electric hand dryer plus maintenance, servicing, etc. Plus... The Dyson ones, for example, they make a huge mess. They they throw water all over the room and they spread germs and bacteria all over the room because it's literally like a bacteria uh, spreader yeah. machine. You couldn't you couldn't design a more efficient bacteria spreader if you tried, you know. So it's uh it's probably in that sense much better to just stick to paper and be like, okay, we have a bit of paper left over. Oh damn, you know. Yeah. And a word on Dyson, because I have a beef with, with Sir James uh, at the moment. For for our wedding, we received uh, a few Dyson uh, objects, oh. uh, which, of course, we had put on our registry because it's like, hey, it's Dyson. It's, yeah, it's, it's cool. Yeah. I'd been yeah. in the store and tested it out, and I'm like, oh, this is awesome. A vacuum yeah. cleaner I can get excited by. Nice. So vacuum cleaner, hair dryer. The hair dryer is great. My wife says I don't use it for 
that much time uh, every yeah. morning, but she sure. says it's, it's the best hairdryer she's ever had. Wow. Um, we'll take her word for it. The vacuum cleaner, Neil, is a piece of crap. Yeah. Because you need to charge it, and it runs out of battery all the time. So I'll be like, the house will be quite dirty. I'll be like mid-vacuum, and beep, 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 and then it needs to oh, charge man. forever. So I have a beef with Sir James. Your things might look cool, but do they do the job? Not That's really. outrageous. That's that's unacceptable, I would say. Because it, 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 to me, vacuuming is a bit like me reading, where it's like I have a very limited window of interest for this task, you know? And it's like, if you put up even the slightest barrier as I'm doing it, I'm like, right, that's it, I'm done, you know? So the last thing I need is a vacuum running out of battery halfway through, geez, no. Exactly. That's a no thank you. Uh, if you were looking for a recommendation, the the loyal listeners might might always be interested. Miele yeah, is classic. the absolute best vacuum. I got one of those and have never looked back. The first time you turn it on, it will blow you away. You're like, this this is unparalleled suction here. You will say to yourself out loud. Uh, if Miele is great. We we had a Miele uh, before we we gave it away, assuming that our Dyson was going to be better. And oh, big mistake. Another example, the Miele, of German engineering paired with Italian naming. Fantastic. Just a beautiful name. Hard for any Western consumer to say who doesn't speak Italian, but still. Right. I'm like Miele, Miley. 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 Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there you have it on toilet paper. Now you took us down this wonderful segue on, on hand drying. Um, mm. And we have one final one from the mailbag that I wanted to include in this segment. Sure. And this comes from, from a chaos agent known to, to many listeners of the podcast, the Graham Cracker O'Hara from Dublin, Ireland. It sure is. And I, I, I don't know what this is, right? This has come in through your, through your communication channels. Yeah, indeed. However, through the Instagram mailbag. I can, only, I can only predict that this is some kind of cheap shot to try and take me down a peg or something along those lines. But let's see. You're smiling, so I think it's, it probably is. Well, no, I'm smiling because I really need your help in understanding this because ah, okay. uh, when we ask our listeners what you want to discuss, he answers, buying clothes for men, trials and tribulations. That's a good point. I like that, actually. Okay, well, hit me with your trials and tribulations of buying clothes for men. Uh, well, there's two aspects, I guess, two, two directions that he's potentially thinking along. Number one is that it seems, and I'm speaking now in very broad strokes, that on average, men significantly dislike shopping far more than women do and i'm i, I fall into that category i just hate right. it basically the act so of I'm, and we i think we've talked about this before where i try to just get it over with at, at the shortest the shortest possible amount of time being in a shop is massively destabilizing for me i find myself questioning my entire existence if i see a piece of clothing right. it goes from i could wear that to oh no could i wear that oh no is that even for me oh my god is this for like a totally different type of person am i cool enough to wear this am i not cool enough to wear this you know like uh all of these things oh. so and that's that's just the psychological you know tribulations that that the average guy especially the non-stylish guy of which i would describe myself oh um, come on we've down. been on this podcast where you had a nice linen shirt rolled up in the sun and that you had been told by uh, fashion people that it really fit your colors? Fashion people did tell me that. That is true. But that aside, I still feel on average, I'm just not, a, I'm not passionate about it. I love when I love when I hear someone else who says, you know, I'm interested in fashion. Yeah, I'm like, just super respect to you because I will never, I can't, I, it's not for me. So there's that. But then also, I think Graham might be getting into another interesting topic, which is sizing woes, mm. which I feel 
you, you're kind of either lucky or you're not, right? I am in the unlucky camp of being a VTP where we have stuff that is large size, but it is not the correct width for a person of my slender frame, let's say. Ah, so okay. The I can either, yeah, exactly. I can either buy a medium t-shirt that is exactly the right uh what's the word like trunk width you know it's like go, yeah, going right. down my torso the right yeah. the right width but it's not long enough or i can buy a large t-shirt which is like wearing a tent you know with a little with a little hole cut in the top oh, for my okay. head and uh that has that has plagued me also with shirts right where sometimes the only thing to do to, if you see a shirt that you, that you really like in large you have to buy it and then bring it to someone else and they'll like take in the seam and you know make it short and slimmer right. for you uh there just isn't an abundance of clothes for people with specific body types and I actually find that's that's true also in certain female body types. Uh, so it's not just a, a men's Certainly. problem. Yeah. But I, I do think, I mean, you don't have to look too far. Go to a H&M and, and look how much of it is, is women's clothes versus men's or go to, you know, it, it, there is clearly prioritization here where they're, they're playing to the to the crowd you know they know mm -hmm. they know who to who to cater to uh, but that just means that the, the, the selection for men is just a bit more limited i feel is that why you so often opt for sweaters with nothing underneath i am now i am never a there's nothing on nothing underneath sweater oh, no. wearer. you can see i have a black t-shirt here oh, i think you were okay. you accusing go, yeah. me falsely of wearing okay. nothing under this sweater if anything mr volby i would accuse you of that crime oh. Uh, you and you know what I'm talking about. There has been multiple occasions. Yeah, I, I used to. Uh, I went with that look for a couple of years. I think at the beginning of my my professional career, when you and I first met. Um, yeah, I used to sport the odd sweater jumper for the Brits uh, yeah. with nothing underneath because it allowed for the idea was it allowed for a classy look that mm. you could go out in the evening without needing to have a jacket over in those in between seasons yeah, summer yeah. into autumn. Um, there were quite a few drawbacks though, uh, as I discovered. Certainly. And I mean, first and foremost, like just wearing a t-shirt underneath it, it's not that much of a drawback. I mean, you're going to maybe add a slight bit of temperature, but you'll still pretty much be fine. You know? Yeah. It was also a phase, I think, where I was just wearing tighter clothes in general. Um, yeah. Yeah. And taking and them off on dance floors of various bars. Uh, 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 allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. Allegedly. Um, there is no evidence. Sandwich. Yeah. Um, but yeah, exactly. So um, if you're going to take your sweater off on a dance floor, make sure you have something underneath. Like that was, that was the, I think that was the, the moral of the story as we took taxi home later, you know, that was what we discussed. A trial and tribulation. And oddly enough, actually, a couple of days later, you showed up with the exact same color sweater as yeah. I had on that night. And people you were asking me. did you borrow Nicola's sweater? And they were like, well, no. It's Fortunately, yeah. Fortunately, I didn't buy, borrow that particular sweater because it would have been perhaps a little bit worse for wear. But uh, who would have thought? That was like, what, uh, eight years ago, nine years ago? Who'd have thought yeah, like that. we would be postulating about it all these years later? Unbelievable. Some things leave a mark. But yeah, trials and tribulations, buying things for men, I think also... Do you ever give clothes as a gift to male friends? Uh, not male friends, but the brothers, yes. And the reason is okay. because they have the same body as me. So if uh, I have bought something, if I buy something that fits me, like there's certain brands that actually do a good job. So then I'm like, hey, I know how hard it is for me to find stuff that fits. So I will buy this exact thing for them because it's nice and I know it fits. And it, you know, there you go. Because we're literally not... basically the same exact size. So very uh -huh. generous. And what about buying clothes for your girlfriend, Yura? 
that's a bad idea for so many reasons. Yeah. Like she, she, and it's nothing against your in particular, but I think. Well, I hope any, not. Any lady? No, no. I just mean that any lady has a very clear idea of what it is they want to wear. Yeah. And also has a very clear idea of what they don't. And I have neither of those things in my mm. head for for that person. So if I were to buy something that I thought, hey, this could be nice, you know, whatever. I just think there's like all manner of reasons that I would get it wrong. It's not on season. It's not on trend. It was on trend, but isn't anymore. You know, like I'm, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to know about that. So what I would rather do is make a, a kind offer to the person to say, hey, for your birthday, how about I buy you a new blah, 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 you know? Yeah. And then we, we go find that thing together because there's just no, there's only been, I think, one time ever where I've taken a punt on something like that and it's actually paid off. So Okay. Low, low success rate. Low low success rate. Yeah, it is a tough one. Uh, with my wife, if she tells me I like this type of thing once we're mm. out, I try to make a note of it. Okay. But it only works when she has something else of that brand at home because what I've learned is, especially with dresses for females, for example, mm. everyone does a different size scale, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Odd yeah. numbers, like France does a different one from Germany, from where we are in Denmark, from Italy, whatever. Um, so when she likes something from a brand that I know she has, mm. it makes my life so easy. I go into her closet while she's not there. I take a picture of the size. I go to the store and I just show them that. That's a pretty good strategy, actually. I haven't even thought about that. But I need to be assisted, of course. I need to know what I'm going to buy that she is going to like it in the end because, you know. It just seems like such a risk, you know. And yeah. I, I think I, I have the same approach to gifts in general. I'm a bit like, I don't know if the word is like cynical, but I just think gifts are great. And I'm, I I have a lot of interest in, in this topic of gifting in general. But isn't it such a shame when like you do your best, you get someone something, it's not what they want, they have to go bring it back. They've created like... You've, in fact, you've kind of created work for them. Uh, and uh, okay, it's a nice gesture, but wouldn't it have been better to just pre-align a bit with the person and say, "Hey, I want to get you something. What do you want? What do you? What's like something you, you know?" Yeah, it's nice, but in a way, doesn't it also defeat? Yeah, it does. It the does. The purpose just, of the gift and the thought that counts, etc. Yeah, yeah, because part of gifting is like, "Hey, look how well I know you. That I know that you would like this." Yeah. Mm, it's a tricky one. Probably one for another episode, actually. Yeah, indeed. But thank you. He's Neil Fitzpatrick. I'm Nicola Volpi. We're going to proceed with our Chichetua deep dive and get back to you on a future episode. Thanks very much. Thank you, listeners. See you.